Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. In the world we live in, that sounds like a great contradiction. I, I love sports, and one of my favorite basketball analysts is Charles Barkley, because he's honest, he's, he doesn't run away from controversy. I just like him, great personality. I had an occasion to meet him once in Pensacola. Good, good man, he's a mountain of a man, good guy. But when he played for the Sixers, he did a commercial that I think personified his person, his personality. And in that commercial, I mean, he was known as the round mound of rebound. And there was a commercial, he goes up, he grabs the ball, and he holds it tight, and he squeezes it with his arms out. And then he says these words, the meek may inherit the earth, but they're not gonna get this ball. And what Charles was saying is, in order to thrive in this world, it takes toughness. You gotta be tough. And if you're meek, you're timid, and you're weak. That's the perception. But is that so? So we're gonna look into this a little bit. As I was thinking about this and talking to God about making sense out of things in the kingdom that are upside down, that seem to contradict the common vernacular and the line of thinking in this world, the things that seem antithetical to what is. And so what I've learned is, is that the only reality is God and that what, which comes out of God. My life is a reality because God breathed his breath and cause you and I to be. And so I thought about something in my youth. I was gonna say my childhood, but it was more like my youth. There was, a, there was a friend that I had. This dude was the nicest guy you ever wanna meet. Soft spoken, humble guy, nice dude. But as I thought about it, I, I got in my spirit this title for him. He was the King David of the hood. The King David of the hood because this brother never lost a battle. He never lost a fight. Nicest guy, you would think by talking to him he wouldn't harm a fly. He never started a fight, but he never ran away from one because people perceived his personality as someone who's weak. And I saw many guys who had big reputations, who were fighters, who were boxers. I'm talking about people who are on NBC Sports, boxing, tangled with this guy, and it's like, down goes another one. Another one bites the dust. I remember this one particular time when we were in the park and this crowd starts running and I don't know at, the, at that point what the commotion is all about. And this person I'm talking about is there, he's seated, and then he gets up because he knows they're coming for him. 
I found out later he had been in another neighborhood, got into a fight, did what he does, and then he came, sat down having peace. This mob comes, and the guy who he had tangled with, big reputation, much bigger than him, calls him out, and he gets up calmly and says, I'm going to give you a fair one. Those were his words. They start to box, and bam, bam, combination, left hook, the guy's on the ground. He backs up. He lets him get up. In the neighborhood I came from, if you're on the ground, you're going to get stomped. He wasn't like that. He was a meek, nice guy, but he wasn't weak. He wasn't a pushover. He knocked this guy down like four or five times until his big brother came and got him, saw the condition he was in, apologized, and they went home. Meekness is not weakness. And so I want to take us a little bit further into this by looking at our text and looking at a model of meekness. And we're going to explore this text, but also talk about some background that would further drive this point home. How is it that the meek will inherit the earth? First thing is, an inheritance is given by someone who has the resources to deploy or to give out. It's the discretion of the person who's given the inheritance. The one who receives it doesn't really do anything to earn it. You're just in the favor of the person or you're in the bloodline. Some, I hope somebody got that, the bloodline. If you are in the bloodline, you can be in line to receive an inheritance. Let's go to our text in the book of Numbers. Numbers 12, verses, we're going to read verses 1 through 15. And we're going to go through it line upon line and precept upon precept. Numbers 12, beginning at verse 1. And Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. And the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam. Come out, ye three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. And he said, Hear my words, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. 
My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle. And behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not this sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days. And after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days. And the people journeyed. Not till Miriam was brought in again. Before we start to glean insight from this text, I want to talk a little bit about the man, Moses. As you know, Moses grew up in Egypt, discovered who he was, and fled Egypt and went to the backside of the mountain. God has a way of preparing the meek for service. And while Moses was in Midian, God had him tending sheep on the backside of the mountain. Now, what I want you to understand is God had Moses being a shepherd over sheep that didn't belong to him. I need somebody who's leading people to understand what God is trying to teach us in this. He's developing him, and for 40 years, he's on the backside of a mountain. 40 is the number of testing. And he's responsible for a flock of sheep that belong to somebody else. His father-in-law, Jethro. Whenever God puts any of us in a position of leadership, he wants us to know that those that we lead don't belong to us. They belong to him, but we are to care for them and give special care because they belong to another. And so Moses is learning how to lead by tending sheep. It's interesting that God used the same 
method with David, who was tending his father's sheep. And he was so faithful when a lion came, David took that lion with his bare hands and dealt with him in order to protect the sheep. When a bear came, David did the same thing. God wants us to take care of his sheep. I had a conversation not long ago with a friend of mine who said, Pastor, I will never, ever dishonor a pastor, ever. Because I pastored for 25 years in a big city and I learned something about sheep. These were his words. He said, sheep bite, sheep bite. And I thought that thing stayed with me. And I went home, I said to my wife, I was just talking to somebody and he said, sheep bite. And I was like, wow, that is, that is something. It's hard being the shepherd of sheep. You're trying to take care of them and they're biting you, biting you in the back, biting you on the legs. And it kept bothering me, it wouldn't go away. So I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I put a question into Google. People younger than me would just ask Siri the question, <laughs> but I typed it in and I, I said, do sheep bite? And I scrolled, there were multiple answers, but here is the, the truth, the conclusion of the matter. Sheep have flat palates and because their palates are flat, they're only, the only way they're able to do what we call bite is the the food that they consume. They can't latch onto your flesh and bite as we call bite. It's not possible. It's biologically impossible. Sheep cannot bite. But this pastor felt that he was bitten by his flock, by sheep. And I said to my wife, we were having a meal, and I said, you know what I realized? What the Spirit of God just told me? That the reason this person had the perception that sheep bite is because sometimes wolves put on sheep's clothes and you think it's a sheep and it's a wolf. The reason the wolf puts on the disguise is so that you can put your guard down because they know a sheep is docile and they know that a shepherd is going to take care of the sheep and the shepherd doesn't know that an enemy has crept in unaware. You better open your eyes. Sheep don't bite. If something is biting you, it's a wolf. God, speak to somebody today. And I, then I understood why it, I couldn't rest. From the time I heard it, I thought it was a profound insight. Then it was gnawing at me, gnawing at me. I'm not trying to make a pun, it just happened. And then when I looked it up, it's like, it's not even possible. And I realized that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Because if you saw the wolf for what they were, you would protect yourself because you know that a wolf bites. Not only do they have the ability to bite, but by nature, they bite. That's how they get their food. That's how they protect. That's how they go after their prey. That's for somebody. Somebody say, Selah. 
So God prepares Moses to lead his people on the backside of the mountain. And finally, he gets the call. And another, one of the signs of meekness is that people who are meek are reluctant leaders. They're not boisterous. They're not out front. They don't move in pride. They're not driven by ego. And that's why people think that by their external profile, they're not good leaders. Moses was an effective leader. You see, God said to Miriam and Aaron that Moses is faithful over my whole house. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it doesn't appear on the surface that because of their reluctance that they're good leaders. What the world tells you are the, all these traits of leadership that shows strength and toughness. But there was a survey done, and it was published in the Wall Street Journal more than a decade ago, where they looked at CEOs from around the world, and they took all the attributes. The number one attribute for the best and most effective leaders in business was humility, which doesn't make sense. Because when people are tough, this person is smart, this person is tough, that's credited to some, to others, they call them other things when they behave the exact same way. Don't buy into that. The meek shall inherit the earth. Now, Aaron, when I see Aaron going against Moses, I'm like, this, this doesn't make sense. In verse 1, it says, and Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses. They spoke against him because of the Ethiopian woman who he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, here is some insight. This 12th chapter, Moses gives us a lot of insight. There's a lot for us to learn. When people come at you, generally what you see is not the reason or the cause. You have to have the discernment or the patience to look beneath the surface because you heard them say in verse 2, and they said, here's what they said, Moses wants us to know the reason is because they didn't like the fact that he married outside of the tribes of Israel. But that's not what they said. Verse 2 says, and they said, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Has he not spoken also by us? So they're saying, look, we're important too. We're significant. They didn't like what their little brother did. They challenged him as a leader. Sometimes when people are challenging you and you take it personal, it ought not be personal because what they say is not what's driving them. And the only way you're going to know, to get to the truth, is that you've got to approach it with meekness. And let me tell you what gives me, and I pray that it'll give you the confidence, because I don't always get this right, but it's gives, in this study, it gave me confidence and boldness to be patient, to be wise as a serpent, serpent, and harmless as a dove in these kinds of confrontations. Because the next five words give us insight. 
It says, and the Lord heard it. When you say something that's out of line to somebody, or when someone says something that's out of line for you, be meek. You don't have to defend yourself. God heard it. And if God heard it, he's going to take care of it. And unless you find yourself devouring the sheep that God wants you to take care of and to care for that don't even belong to you, God heard it. And you will notice that Moses doesn't say a word. God said to me as I was studying this, meditating on it, he said, the people who talk, these are my words, not God's. The people who sell wolf tickets, you don't have to, since we're talking about the wolf, you don't have to worry about them so much. Their bark is louder than their bite. But when someone that you are confronting and you're challenging them and you're speaking ill of them in their presence, right to their face, and they don't say anything, and they just smile, and they give you a kind response, that's the person you ought to fear. That's the one you ought to fear because God is going to back that person up I remember I had a thought. I was sitting here waiting to come up, and God brought this memory back to me. And it was one of those memories that you try to bury, but I think it has a purpose in this message. And I remember times when I would do something that was disobedient in my mother's eyes. In my eyes, I was doing something. It wasn't bad. I just want to have fun. But because she told me not to do it, it was disobedience. It wasn't about it being bad or good or harmful or not. It was about stepping outside the boundaries of obedience. And so there were times when my mother, she could talk with the best of them. She would give me a tongue lashing. And I noticed the pattern, when that happened, it's good. All I have to do is endure that and look in her face, not smirk. Don't suck your teeth or you won't have any teeth. Don't roll your eyes or you might be blind by the end of the day. Just sit there and take it. Grin and bear it as they say it was okay. But if she was, son, what you want for dinner? What would you like? And she was nice. I remember one of those times, I promise you, this is the truth. I did something I wasn't supposed to do. She was so nice, I forgot about it. I was like, wow, she, she ain't going to get me this time. I, and I didn't say she ain't going to get me. I said, she's not going to beat me. I'm past the age where Dyfus could do anything about that, so I'm, I'm going to just say it on live stream. And the next morning, she pulls the cover off me. If you want to know what a rude awakening is like, that's a rude awakening. And she started wailing on me until I couldn't speak English. And I wasn't speaking in tongues. It was a bad, and she was kind and nice and didn't get angry. Moses, in this scenario, as you'll see as we go through the verses, never said a word until 
and we'll see what the until is. But Aaron, when Moses was reluctant to receive his call, was by his brother's side. And God said to Moses, all right, I understand you feel like you can't speak. I told you I'm going to be your mouthpiece. If you don't trust that, your brother Aaron will go with you. And he will be your mouth. I'm still making you the leader, but because you don't have confidence in this area, I want to shore up your confidence and you take Aaron with you. And so Aaron had a role to support him. The same Aaron, I'm sure, at the end of this, remembered, like I remembered my root awakening. When you've done wrong, things come to your mind. So it can lead you to repentance. Aaron probably thought about the, the battle against the Amalekites when he and her held up the arms of Moses. And every time they held up his arms, Israel prevailed. When Moses was tired and his arms were down, Israel lost the battle and they held them up. Aaron's role was to support his brother and now he's speaking against him. Miriam, when they crossed the Red Sea, Moses was rejoicing. He went from crying out to God because there was an army from Pharaoh behind him. There were mountains on both sides of him and the Red Sea in front of him. He said, Lord, what are we going to do? Moses panicked. And God, as he always does, reminds us of what we have. He said, what do you have in your hand? Moses looked at, stretch out your rod. And God said, why are you crying out to me? What do you have in your hand? I want to tell somebody right now, you got everything you need. You already got what you need. God is saying, why are you crying out to me? What do you have in your hand? And when they got to the other side on dry land, and they didn't sing, oh, Mary, don't you weep. Oh, Martha, don't you mourn. Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea, but they sang something, and it was called the Song of Moses. Right after that, in Exodus, Miriam got the tambourines and got the sisters together, and they had church. She was close to her little brother. She's the same big sister who put him on the River Nile to save him because she saw that Moses was good and she obeyed the voice of her mother. These same siblings, they won't, here's what I'm trying to get through. These were not his enemies. These were people in the ministry with him who also shared the same bloodline who rose up against him. We've got to learn that when these things happen, we shouldn't demonize the people. We shouldn't fight back because then it's just a fight and there's schism and there is di division. But when we are meek, we can be low. To be meek means to be lowly. The Bible says Jesus was meek and lowly. And the meek shall inherit the earth because they're like him. Come what may, no matter how much pressure, Moses could have easily said, no, no, no. I'm the head prophet around here. I'm the deliverer. You better go sit down somewhere. This wasn't the first time this happened to Moses. There was a man by the name of Korah who challenged him, not for the same reasons you, what they said, 
and what was driving them were different. I want you to get that because the next time you are confronted, you need to learn to look beneath the surface through the eyes of meekness. But Korah said, Moses, has God spoke to you alone? And he started stirring up the people. And Moses sensed that there was a movement against him. And there was more than six million people. If there was an uprising, Moses didn't have a chance. But he calmly said these words. He said, Cora, I want you to meet me tomorrow. Bring all your family and everybody with you. It's just going to be me. I'm not going to bring a posse. You bring everybody. And he said, if you die, the death, a natural death, like all other on the face of the earth, then God hasn't spoken to me. But if the earth opens up and swallows you up, then you know that the Lord has sent me. They met, it was the showdown, and God opened up the earth, and Korah and all that belonged to him, all his, his family and all his belongings were swallowed up. Was God doing that to teach Korah a lesson? He was doing that so the people would fear God and stay in line. Without the fear of God, there's no restraint. There's no restraint. Part of the problems that we're having in many nations of the world, in cities across of America, is that the fear of God is gone. And that fear is needed to bring about restraint. Let's go a little for, further. Verse 3 is very interesting. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now the book of Numbers was written by Moses. Moses says, the man Moses. Moses is writing this and he's saying it about himself. You know what this is like? It's like me saying to you, I am very humble if I say so myself. If I say so myself, I, I've just shown you the opposite of humility. Just yesterday, my wife David and I were at the mall having a meal at Friday's and we walked out and it was a, there was a car and it had written on one side, humble, had written on the roof, humble, had written on the other side, humble, and it had um, lightning bolts. And so I always try to use teachable moments for David because he's at the age, he's 12, Lord knows he needs them. He's learning a lot of stuff, and I got to put in him the values that will cause him never to stray from the things of God. So I, he and I had this little conversation, and then my wife chimed in, and we said, David, anyone who broadcasts humility cannot be humble, because the person who is humble doesn't bring attention to themselves. They don't talk about that. And then his mother went in and, and told them he got that lesson. I'm sure of it. But why would Moses write this about himself? What is he trying to tell us? What Moses is saying is, I did nothing to deserve this. I didn't provoke them. I want you to know that I wasn't being a provocateur. I didn't provoke this. Sometimes things come upon you 
that you didn't provoke, that you didn't cause. You can't figure out why. It causes pain, especially when someone close to you does it. It is more painful because you don't expect it from them. It's like getting bit by a sheep. You don't expect it from a sheep. But now you know if you're bitten by a sheep, it's a wolf. Just pull off their clothing. But in this instance, Moses wants us to know that his humility was backed up by God. I didn't do anything to them to deserve it. And many of you have had confrontations that you didn't ask for. Things have been said about you that don't fit your description. It doesn't fit your shape. It's not who you are. It's not how you conduct yourself. But you need to remain meek and lowly. And in all humility, pray for those individuals. Verse 4 says, And the Lord spoke suddenly unto Moses, Arian, Aaron and Miriam. God is saying, y'all say, you ask the question, do I speak to Moses only? I'm going to speak to all three of you now, but you're not going to like what I said. You're, you're confronting my servant who's faithful over my whole house. Now I'm going to talk to you, but you're not going to like what I say. Sometimes what comes out of God's mouth is bitter, but as he corrects us, it's sweet in our belly. And so he calls them together. He says, come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And all three came out. So far has Moses said a word, nothing. Verse five, and the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forth. Here's what I like about God. This is why, beloved, you don't have to defend yourself. God was putting a difference between them and Moses. Moses didn't have to do it. God spoke to all three, all you come down. Then he told those, I want you two to come forward because I got something to tell you. You don't have to defend. If you hold your peace, the Lord will fight your battles. That's something everybody can quote, but very few people do. Because you, your flesh wants you to rise up because you bought into what the world says that meekness is weakness. So you got to show I ain't no punk. You ain't going to talk to me any kind of way. We're not going to have this. And now God heard it, but now he's constrained. There's one of two things going to happen. One of two things. Either you're going to be constrained or God's going to be constrained. Because when I'm unconstrained, I constrain the Spirit of God. That's one of the ways I quench the Spirit. The Spirit of God can't be released when I'm in disobedience. And they didn't see it as disobedience. They saw it as their right as a prophet and a priest to speak like this. Your title doesn't give you the right to speak to people any kind of way. It doesn't. I am so... I want to say it the right way because I don't want to talk about meekness and then say the wrong thing. I am so finished with individuals who are God's people, who I know love him, but who would rather be right 
than righteous, who are more interested in being right than righteous, those individuals, your words have to be few because that's the only way you're going to pull them out of the fire because the more words are exchanged, now what's happening is you're getting pulled into a trap where you're both now looking to be right and you're both behaving unrighteously. I want to say, I want to submit to you in all meekness that you want to always seek to walk in righteousness because our, our God sent his son to die for us that his righteousness might be upon us. And I do not want to disappoint in that way. Verse 6 says, and he said, Hear now my words. What God is saying, I heard you. Now it's time for you to hear me. I heard you and I heard enough. Now you need to hear me. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Verse 7, my servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all my house. As I said before, he's putting a difference between them. Moses didn't put a difference. God put a difference. And they attempted to put a difference. Do you see how this works? So if you're meek, you need to stay lowly so that God can fight your battles. Even if it's his own people, because God takes care of his own people. He... Moses and, or Aaron and Miriam are not going to be banished to hell, but they're going to pay for this. They're going to get punished. Not because Moses punishes them. Moses went low. And now God is saying to them, I need you to hear this. I want you to know that I do, Moses has a different level of responsibility than you. I have asked him to lead over six million people, do you understand the weight? And Miriam and Aaron should have understood this. They saw as they got no sooner than Miriam and the women were having church with the tambourines, the people started to murmur. And they said, Moses, we're thirsty. You brought us out here. Has God brought us out in the wilderness to die? We want to go back to Egypt. Egypt represents the world. God has delivered them, and they want to go back into the world. And God, Moses goes to God and says, Lord, what shall I do with this people? What shall I do? And God says, take your rod and smite the rock, and I'll bring water forth from the rock. That rock represents Jesus Christ. There's water in the rock. If you're in the dry place, there's water in the rock. There's rivers of living water. And they, they had the sweetest spring water flowing from that rock. They go on a little bit further, and they say, you know what, Moses? We've been thinking, and we don't like the fact that we're out here in the wilderness and there's not much to eat. Back in Egypt, we were fed. They were slaves. They ate the leftovers, but they're, they're talking about that. Moses said, God, you hear these people. What shall I do? God said, here's what I want you to instruct them. Tell them to go to their tents, and every morning come out, and I'll send manna from heaven, 
and they'll get it, and there's going to be enough for the day. There should be nothing left over. If it's too much for one house, you give it to another because it's going to stink and spoil. It's going to be sufficient for the day. And if you can't consume it all, give it to your neighbor. For the next day, it's going to be more. God was trying to teach them that I'll provide for you. Whatever you need, you could be in a wilderness place. I'm going to provide. But here is the problem. Even with us, God's people, we don't like the taste of the food of heaven. Manna was strange because it was bread from heaven. And they were used to the onions and leeks that they had in Egypt. And when God wants to do something different, we don't like the taste of it. We don't even know that we're rejecting it. But the scriptures in the Old Testament are written for our learning and our admonition. And what we see is that the people of God, these are God's people who he called out of the world, who he took out of Egypt and set them apart. And they're complaining and they're murmuring. And they don't even realize that they're God is hearing them. And they're complaining against God. And Moses, the servant of God, is interceding on their behalf to God. And so God said, calls Moses. He said, all right, they don't like manna. They were rejecting the bread of heaven. They don't like manna. Tell them, I'm going to give them quails. Not for one day, not for five days, not for 10 days, not for 20, but for a whole month. Here's what God said, until it comes out of their nostrils, I'm going to give it to them. Miriam and Aaron were close to their little brother. They saw all that he was going through. And then after, in the, in the 11th chapter of Numbers, you'll see the story of the quails and all those other things. And then they confront him. When all this is on them, him, God is saying, and God had also called 70 elders to help him because of the stress of the heavy load that Moses was carrying. And God is saying, why would you do this when you know what he's under? Why are you putting more pressure on my servant who's faithful over all my house? Why are you making his load heavier when I called you to make it lighter. I called you to support him and you're making it heavier. But in all these things, when you feel that way, choose the way of meekness because the meek shall inherit the earth because the God whom everything you see belongs to is going to give it to those who are faithful. And then God testifies of Moses in verse 7, my servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. That's a very important characteristic of those who are meek. People who are meek are not weak. They just submit. And Moses, because he didn't have confidence in his own earthly ability to do what God was asking him to do, he submitted himself to God. So much so that when God gave him an assignment that fell hard, he said, Lord, if you don't go, I'm not going. You've got to go before me. I'm not able to do this. That's what meekness does. It recognizes that I need the power of God to do this. Pride says I can do this. 
Look at my ministry. I've got an anointing. I've got this. You got pronoun disease. You're focusing on yourself when the focus ought to be on God. It's the job of a minister to point people to God. Our gaze should always be on him. You should never be the star of the show. I have a good friend who is here in Philly. I call him a good friend. I haven't known him that long. He's a man of God out of Kenya. And earlier this week, I went to have fellowship with him. I prayed with him. We've talked. We've spoken over each other's lives. We've prophesied over the city. And he says something that I think is apropos, and it gets to weakness. He's a man. He's different. He lives the book of Acts. Signs and wonders follow him, partly because he goes to the unchurched. He goes where Jesus went, and the Bible says, and the sinners heard him gladly. He's figured this out. And so everywhere he goes, Madagascar, all around the world, he, the, the, the signs and the wonders follow him. And he says, I don't lay hands on anybody anymore. Not because of the pandemic, even before that. He said, I don't, because the Lord told me that if you continue to do that, you become the star of the show. And people start to look at you in ways that they shouldn't. And then it's going to infect you. And you're going to think more highly of yourself than you don't. So he says, everywhere I go in the world, I empower people. And God does the work through them so they know it's God. Some people for the first time lay hands on the sick and watch them get healed. Like the 70 who came back excited because it's God. It's not about you. It's not about your ministry. It's not about anything other than the God who has the power to do anything but fail. And so people who walk in meekness recognize this. They're submissive. They're dependent. They wholly lean on Jesus' name. That's why the meek shall inherit the earth. And the anger of the Lord, verse 9, was kindled against them, and he departed, and the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam was leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. Why was Miriam leprous and not Aaron? Now, so far, Moses hasn't talked. Miriam is leprous, but not Aaron, because Miriam was the aggressor. Aaron is a follower. You remember when Moses went to do the tablets? Mo Miriam was making a golden calf. He's a priest making a golden calf because the people wanted him to do it. Moses now, for the first time, opens his mouth. Miriam is a leper. Aaron confesses their sin and says, please, Moses, please, my Lord, small l, don't lay this sin upon us. We've been foolish and we've sinned. Pray for her. And here's what Moses does, what any meek person would do. The first time in this text he opens his mouth, Moses says in verse 13, and Moses cried out to the Lord. He didn't speak back to his accusers. He cried out to the Lord. Is anybody getting this? Somebody type in the chat, cry out to the Lord. 
Stop arguing. Cry out to the Lord. Stop talking. Cry out to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. Miriam and Aaron were so bold, why didn't they pray for themselves? Why didn't Miriam pray? Why didn't Aaron pray? Aaron, you're a priest. Your job is to cover the people. That's what happens when God puts you in your place. You realize that I'm not all that I thought I was. I can't do anything. It's up to God to do it. The other lesson, and we're going to wrap this up, is God takes care of his people. Don't you get messed up and get in the way and try to do God's work. People are complex. Human beings are complex. I wish we were more simple. I wish we were, but we're free moral agents, and we're not. And every now and then we make mistakes. Family, doesn't mean they didn't love Moses. They did. Doesn't mean that they were ungodly. God spoke to them. They made a mistake, but when they do, let God correct it. Because when I try to do that, now I'm not just complex, I have a God-like complex. The complexity you can't do much about, but the God-like complex you can, and meekness is an anecdote for that. So God just says to Moses, I'll heal her, but she's going to have to sit outside the camp and be ashamed because of this. The meek shall inherit the earth. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness gives you access to the strength and the power of God. You don't have to fight your own battles because when people say things to disparage you, God heard it. He hears it. Be confident in that very thing. Before I end with a story, there's a verse that God reminds me of oftentimes when I'm in situations where I want to lash out, when I take things personally, when I want to be received and well-liked by all. It's found in Luke 6 and 26, and it brings me right down to a place of submission and a place of lowliness and a place of confidence. And sometimes joy breaks through because I realize that I'm in right in the pocket, in the right spot. He says, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. If there's not something stirred up against you, then the enemy of your soul doesn't see you as a challenge. Whenever we penetrate the darkness, something is going to come against you. A great door, Paul said, is open unto me and many adversaries. So beloved people of God, don't take things personal. Focus on your purpose. Focus on the mission. Keep your eyes on the prize. Looking to Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And I understand better what Paul means when he says, forgetting about those things that are behind 
I reach forth to that which is before. Pressing, I press towards the mark of the prize, which is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. As we come to a close, I want to tell you a brief story before we pray. I, I had the privilege of going to Vienna about five years ago, and I, I went to the mountain where the sound of music was done. A tour guide took me through neighborhoods and showed me homes where uh, Bach and Strauss and people like that, great classical musicians were born. They came out of, then it was a part of Germany. And uh, one evening I went to a place where a private citizen owned this hotel and down underneath, it was a, was a Marriott, but down underneath um, he had made this, um, it's kind of like a hall. It wasn't an orchestra hall, but it was a musical hall that he put 100 million euros of his own money in to have the most beautiful acoustics. So operatic voices just flowed, the beauty of it. It is the place where classical music was birthed. And there's a story of a man year, many years ago who was a great concert violinist. He was a beautiful violinist. He played in all the great halls all around the world. And one day at the peak of his stardom, he went to buy a new violin. And he goes into the store, he looks around, and then he has to use the restroom. And in those days, there wasn't indoor plumbing. There were what are known as outhouses. That wasn't just in the South. They existed in Europe and everywhere because there was not plumbing. So they, he, go, he tells them, it's outside. You go right uh, this way, and you'll see it over on your left. And they also, in those days, did not have uh, trash containers. Um, they would burn their trash. They burned it, and it would become an ash heap. And as new trash would be thrown out, they would put it on the ash heap, they would later burn it, and it would, it would uh, become a part of the ash heap. So as he's going to the restroom and he comes back, he looks on top of the ash heap and he sees this violin. It is dirty. It is trash. It only has one string. It's beat up. It's seen better days. He climbs up. He gets it. He goes into the store and says to the man, this is the violin that I want to purchase. And the guy says, no. We have all these beautiful violins, Stradivaruses, et cetera. He's like, why do you want this? He says, nope, I want it, and I want to pay full price. I want to pay full price for this. So the man doesn't want to pass up a sale. He sells it to him. He goes. He doesn't clean it up. He tunes up that one string. He doesn't add a string. And if you're a master, you can play anything. And he was a master violinist. He continued going on his tours and playing it beautifully. 
Reputation not diminished. Everywhere he went, people loved it. He would bring people into an emotional space because of the beauty of how he played. And when he came to the end of his days, he was laying on a bed. And his daughter came to him and said, Dad, you're the greatest violinist in the world. Why did you play this old beat up violin? You could have had anything you wanted. You didn't have to, you wouldn't even have to pay for it. It would have been given to you. You're so well respected. Why did you do this? It bothers me. I always wanted to know why you continued to do that. It's embarrassing. And he looks at his daughter with loving eyes. He says, baby girl, this was my offering to God because God picked me up off the ash heap. He made my life beautiful. And he made music for my life. This is my offering to God. I want to say to you out there today, what is your offering going to be to the master? I know that you might think that your life is on an ash heap, but there's a master. A master can make beautiful music out of anything. If you offer him your life, if you give him that offering, if you give him your life and you're willing to be a sacrifice, you provide the sacrifice, he'll provide the fire. He'll make something beautiful out of your life. I want to pray with you right now. Father, there are many who feel as though they don't measure up. Their lives don't matter. But you want to make something beautiful out of them. You don't have to change the way they look. You don't have to change the way they appear, just like that violin. And the man who saw the beauty in it because he appreciated the beauty that you saw in him. I pray today that you would reveal yourself in a powerful way. I pray that they would offer, many would offer themselves to you. Spirit of the living God, go and transform hearts. If you're ready to offer yourself to him, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, like Miriam and like Aaron, I realize I've done foolishly and that I've sinned. But I come to you now broken. I come to you now from the ash heap, asking you to make something of my life, transform me, receive me. I come because you promised that all that come to you, not one would you cast out. Don't cast me away. My life is an open book to you, and now I realize that I cannot hide, I should not hide, I should not even want to hide, because you love me for me. You love me because you made me. You know who I am, and you still love me. You only want me to love you back. So today is the beginning of a love affair. 
Help me to fall in love with you. Show me your ways. You said to your servant Moses, of your servant Moses, he shall see your similitude. God, let me see just a piece of you. Show me in someone. Send a woman of God. Send a man of God who will come and represent you on the earth. Thank you for saving me. I confess that I'm a sinner. And I confess that you are holy. I believe it in my heart. Just as I've confessed it with my mouth. And so now, by faith, according to your word, I receive you. Take me and never leave me and never forsake me, even as you promised. There will be days, Lord, like Miriam and Aaron, that I will make mistakes, not because I've fallen out of love, but sometimes pride or ego heal me and lead me into the way of everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.